Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Proverbs chapter 4, and we have been in this study through the book of Proverbs now for a few weeks, and um, we're making our way through, slowly but surely, and uh, the front half of the, the book, as you know if you've been with us for some time now in, in this, the front half is really uh, a, a compilation of Solomon's letters to his son. Okay, they, they were very really just his letters as he would write to Rehoboam, as he would think about his son one day te- taking his throne, um, writing letters to him, and uh, letters to encourage his son to follow God's word, God's instruction, to not stray from it, and um, relying on it to not venture down the path of wickedness, but to stay true to the path of righteousness. And so these are letters from Solomon to his son, and each one often starts very similarly to the others, and and similar to the one that we're going to read tonight, where he just says, hear my son. And so um, this is letter number six of... I think 11, uh, a lot of commentators say of 10 letters. I, I don't know, I break it down in 11 letters, but uh, sometimes people see in chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 19 as one letter, and that this is the, just the second half of that letter. I actually think this is a distinct letter in and of itself, and so that's where the discrepancy comes. Um, so I count 11 letters, um, and that's what we'll look at. So this will be number number six. Let me read it in its entirety, and then we will kind of walk through it. So Proverbs 4, starting in verse 10, going down to verse 19. Hear now the word of the Lord. Hear my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk... Your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They have robbed, they are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Let me pray one more time as we consider these words from God. Oh God, you are a Father. You're our Heavenly Father. You're the Father, firstly, to the Son, Jesus Christ, but secondly, to all who He shepherds as the Great Shepherd, all of your children. And as our Heavenly Father, your heart hurts when your child is wayward and you want your children to go down the right path. 
And we know that your reason is clear in this letter and in all of Scripture that it is for our good that you want us to go down the right path. It's for our blessing that you want us to go down the right path and stay away from the wrong path. This is the heart that you have for us as our Father. And so help us now to see your heart, that we would hear your word, your reason for giving it. Would we not be skeptical of your intentions or leery to be obedient to it? But would we be wholeheartedly dependent upon you, trusting both your word and your reason for giving it? May we rely on you and all that you say. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the focus of tonight in, in this passage is pretty clear uh, to me, and I, and I hope to make it clear to you in the, in the time that we have together going through this text, but I think the, the focus in this letter is that the Word of God, our Father, or the Word of the Father, is good, and it's worthy to be trusted. It's good, and it's worthy to be trusted. And so, for my outliners out there, here's kind of the outline that we have going through the text tonight. Three things. Firstly, we will see the Father's heart. Secondly, we will hear the Father's command. Thirdly, we will understand the Father's reason for the command. We'll see His heart, we will hear His command, and we will understand His reason for the command. That's, I think, a a fair breakdown of this letter as I read it. So, firstly, let's see the Father's heart. What is the Father's heart for His child? We see that in verses 10 and 11 and 12. He says, hear, O my son. Just, Just as you read this, as I read this again, try to pick up on the heart behind it. Just read this as a parent longing for good for their child. If you're a parent, read it through that lens parent longing for the good of their child. He says, hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. Right? He's pleading with him. I've taught you the ways of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not, stum- you will not stumble. Do you hear that? The heart of the father just wanting good for their child. Wanting to hear it, really hear it, and to follow it. You actually, you hear these words, hear my words, that, that, that phrase, hear my words, seven times in the book of Proverbs. Seven times Solomon says, he pleads, not just says, pleads with his son, hear my words. Hear my words. I think that repetition, hear my words, hear my words, hear my words, hear my words, please hear my words. I think this repetition obviously shows the Father's heart, doesn't it? For a child he deeply loves, wants good for. But it also, I think, is reflective of our, as the children, our forgetfulness to the instruction He's already given us. 
right? Just this constant repetition of hear my words again, hear my words again. You got to hear my if you know if you have kids, if you raised up children, you know you one time isn't enough ever. And I think the repetition not only reflects the the burning passion that the father has for the good of his child, but it's also reflective of the child's forgetfulness and natural tendency to ignore the parent's instruction. And so I think just thinking as God's children, that teaches us something, right? We are naturally forgetful. We are naturally prone to not remember the Word of God. And so how necessary it is for us then to regularly and repetitively return to the Word of God and hear it afresh, right? So to daily get in the Word of God, to daily remind ourselves of the Word of God. We need that repetition, and He wants to give us that repetition. And so Solomon writes to Rehoboam, an earthly parent, to a biological child, hear my words, hear my words, hear my words. But he also writes, I've taught you, and I've led you. Just notice that. Verse 11, I've taught you, and I've done my due diligence in leading you. I think this shows us that parents have their time as short as it may feel to fulfill their duty to invest in their children, to plant seeds in their child's lives while they're so impressionable. We have that time. We should use it wisely. But then once they go on, that's hard, isn't it? I haven't faced that yet as a parent. But as they leave your care, as they leave under your roof, to then, to then rest and trust that they will remember it. And that they will return back to that instruction. That's what he's saying. Hear my words. I have taught you. I've done it. I've poured into you. I've discipled you. I've spoken over you. I've led you. And now Solomon has to trust that his son will remember. And his son will keep that in the back of his mind. But not that we only need to trust our children that they will remember, but more than trusting our kids that they will remember when they leave our care, we have to trust God. Right? More than we trust our kid to remember, we trust God and His good plan for them that He will keep ministering to them even if they feel more out of reach to us. He is right beside them. So Solomon says, I have taught. But may he as a parent remember, God is still. And God is still having them in his hand and he will keep walking with them because we know that they were indeed his way before they were ours, right? So these are the words of an earthly parent that has a deep love for their child. 
But these are also the words of a heavenly father to his child. Can't we read it in the same way? Not only an earthly parent to his biological earthly child, but also we can read these words as the heavenly father to you and I as his spiritual children, can't we? Hear, O my child, accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you in the ways of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. Right? These can just as easily be from our heavenly father. And we find that to be true, right? God pours into us. He invests into us with His Word. He indeed pleads, pleads with sinners to hear and to repent. I think He does that primarily through His church. I think we have it in 2 Corinthians 5. Do I have that? 2 Corinthians 5. Okay, let me, let me pull that up really quick. That's really important. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. He says, therefore, this is Paul writing, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. His appeal. He's imploring people. He's pleading with people. He's calling people, and He does that through us. Let me read it again. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so certainly, not only does an earthly father tell his earthly son, please hear my words and remember, but also the heavenly father calls down to sinners and implores them to repent as a heavenly father. But one, there's one difference here. The earthly parent loses grip at some point, to some extent, and has to just pray and hope and trust. But the Heavenly Father never loses influence. He doesn't have to leave it up to His child's choice or memory, He as Sovereign Father ensures that His people will be saved and will remember Him. That's the love of our Heavenly Father. He ensures the salvation of His people. I I love that. Uh, The Father ensures that all that He gives His Son will be saved. They're His children. John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me, this is Christ talking, will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I won't cast out. So the salvation of those that He gives the Son, it's His children, their salvation won't be in jeopardy. John chapter 10, just a few chapters later from John chapter 6. Is still Christ speaking, and He says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. I give them eternal life, and they will not perish, and no one will snatch them out of My hands. No. I never lose grip of My children. My Father, who has given them to Me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And this security of salvation, 
that God gives us as His children is for all that He ordains. Acts chapter 13. This is a beautiful, beautiful truth. Acts 13.48 says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the Word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, maybe believed? No. Believed. So this is good news. While we might feel a, 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 a loosening of the grip of our, our children as their parent, we can rest and know that God never loses grip of a single child. Isn't that amazing? The Heavenly Father pleads with His children to hear His voice, but He ensures that they ultimately will. I think I've told you in, 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 past, in the past um, that Jude and I make Sarah breakfast every morning. Have I mentioned this? Um, and she's very specific in what she wants every, every single morning. And Jude and I make her breakfast, and um, I've learned from my mistakes. We, uh, I made, actually this day was, was bagel and cream cheese. Completely beside the point, I didn't move on. But, um, but I, I put it on the plate, and I give it to Judah, and he really wants to carry it to mom. So from the kitchen to mom's office, it was all the way down the hallway and around a couple turns. I trusted him to make it to mom with bagel and cream cheese intact. He made it about four steps, and I had an upside-down bagel on the floor with a lot of cream cheese to wipe off the floor (laughs) in about four steps. And so now I've learned every single morning, without fail, seven days a week, we make breakfast in the kitchen for mom. Mom's in the office already working in the morning, and so I give the plate to him because he insists Judah has to give it to mom. And so what do I do? give him the plate, and then I reach over him, and I hold the plate, and we walk all the way to mom. This is a parent's love. In fact, this is the heavenly Father's love. Right? He calls us to himself to go to him. But he always has his hand on us to make sure we get there intact. This is the love of our Father. He doesn't have to hope and wonder. He ensures in the name of love. So we see the Father's heart. He beats for his children. But secondly, not only do we see the Father's heart, we hear the Father's command. He commands his Son on how to possess godly wisdom. He commands him to possess godly wisdom. This is verse 13. He says, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Of course, we can understand the greatest of instructions and godly wisdom to be contained where? But in the Word of God. So, Keep hold of Holy Scripture. Do not let go. Guard. For she is your life. Keep. Hold tight. Guard. You maybe have heard the analogy of salvation where, where they say, you know, we're like floundering in the water 
needing someone to throw us a life raft and, and God throws us an inner tube and we hold on to it and that's an idea of salvation and that's not a good biblical idea of salvation. Um, instead, before Christ, before salvation, before regeneration, uh, working of the Holy Spirit within us, we are not floundering in the water, but in, indeed we are dead at the bottom of the ocean, spiritually, and He goes down, grabs us, brings us up, revives us, puts air in our lungs, and brings the dead to life. And now we're floundering in the water, really needing to stay afloat. And as we are trying to stay afloat, and as the Father ensures that we will indeed stay afloat, that's when the life raft is given to us, and it is the Word of God to trust in, to rely on, that through all trials, all hardships, all difficulties, and all uncertainties, now having breath in our lungs and life, we cling to, we hold on to, and we guard that precious Word of God. That's when He throws it to us. May we cling on to His Word, our flotation, through the seas of life. Not only does he command his son to possess godly wisdom found in Scripture, but he commands his son on how to run from wickedness. Not just cling to wisdom, but run from wickedness. That's verses 14 and 15. He says, Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Do you see all these commands here? Do not enter. Do not walk. Avoid it. Turn away. How emphatic could a father be for a son that he loves so deeply? (laughs) When we look at these commands, when you look at these commands, what areas of life might God be talking to us about? to not enter that path, to not walk down that way, to avoid it, to turn away from it. Let me tell you, I do not think it is only pertaining to the big stuff, the big sins, we might call them, those things that one incident could ruin a whole life, right? Adultery in a marriage, crumble a whole marriage, destroy a family with kids and right one time and that could that could happen i don't think this command is just speaking to those sins to that magnitude it, it certainly is speaking to those but not only to those it's also speaking to those what we might call little things that destroy a life over time that destroy a life over time. Gossiping. Lusting. Dishonesty. Things that seem so little, and yet, over time, erode our spiritual health. That's when those commands come in. Don't enter that. Don't go down that road. 
Don't follow that path. Don't entertain that thought. Turn away from it. And it's so easy, isn't it, for us to picture with me this analogy, right? We, know, we have a friend that we know tends to be a gossiper, right? You know that person? Don't raise your hand. But. And we get in the car with that person. 30 minutes go by of driving, we get out, and gossip took place. It's easy to say, well, once it started out, I didn't really know how to shut it down. It was out of my hands. I didn't really know. I mean, there was really no... We always have a choice to shut it down before it ever starts. But once we let it start down that path, it is hard to shut down. So that's when the Word of God says, don't even go down that path. Don't even let that start. Because like a wildfire, it will creep and creep and become uncontainable. It's not just the big things, it's the little things. Sarah and I went hiking, uh, was it two years ago? In Colorado. We were going up this mountainside, and there was this path that was blocked off, and it said off limits. And uh, we asked about it later to a park ranger, and, and they said, yeah, that path, it goes up the side of the mountain, beautiful views, worth it if you can go up it, but we have it off limits because it, it gets narrow at certain parts, and some of those narrow points the, the, the walking is unstable. The, the path itself uh, can crumble on the side as you walk and it becomes quite unsafe. It's, the path itself is pretty unreliable. So until we reinforce some of the path, we have it off limits. So it is with sin. So it is with sin. Right? That if that path has places that could lead to our destruction and detriment, don't even start down the path. Let the barricade at the start speak to you. Don't even go down that path. It's not saying just don't go up and touch it. No, 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 no. You shouldn't even start down towards it. So these are the commands of the Father. Possess wisdom. Cling to it like a life raft. Whether it's life or death, cling to wisdom. And run from wickedness. Don't even go near it. These are the commands of a father who has a heart for his son. But not only do we see the heart of the Father and hear the commands of the Father, but we have to understand the Father's reason for the command. He gives it. He has his reasons for telling his son to choose the path of righteousness and not wickedness. The first reason is that wickedness is ultimately dissatisfying. Let me say that again. Wickedness, the lifestyle of sin, is ultimately dissatisfying. You won't ever find true satisfaction down that path. That's his reason. 
Let me read verses 16 and 17. He says, For they cannot, that's the, the wicked, the people that go down that path. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Look at the two analogies that he's using. First, sleep. Second, food. Alright? Sleep, 16. And then food, 17. Both teaching the same lesson. Wickedness is always dissatisfying. It's always leaving you with a pit. Still wanting. 16 is showing us it's like it's like an itch that won't ever be scratched. Just can't sleep. Can't stop thinking about it. Always needing it again. Always staying up. Always thinking about it. It's like an itch that just can't be scratched. You'll never be satisfied. Never content. You'll never reach that part. It's like a craving that will never go away. But then also 17 is teaching us it's like a food or drink that it's not truly satisfying. It's the, wicked, the, the, the food and the drink of wickedness and violence. And we know from the New Testament, reading as Christians back in the Proverbs, that it's dissatisfying food because Jesus is on, the only satisfying drink. The water which leaves us satisfied. Never wanting another drink. Never needing another drink. That's only Christ. All other drinks leave us wanting. The only bread that leaves us satisfied is Christ. The bread of wickedness will leave us still hungry. So this is why the Father says, don't go down that path because you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied. Second reasoning is about righteousness. Not only is wickedness ultimately dissatisfying, but righteousness, it's the opposite. It's not a letdown. It's not a letdown. It's the opposite. It gets better and better over time. Let me read verse 18. He says, but, so differing from that, the thing that's just not satisfying, never quite pleasing, but, verse 18, the path of righteousness... Oh, it's like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Sarah and I bought, some time ago, an inflatable kayaks. I don't know if you've ever used one. We thought, oh, we don't have much storage space. We want some kayaks. Let's get inflatable kayaks that... Compress and can be stored. <laughs> Sounds great. So we spent the money for it, inflated them, put them in the water, went rafting, came back, realized that they will mold if you don't deflate them, get all the air out, and we have to keep moving it and let the sun dry it all the time to make sure all parts are dried. And then you have to fold it back up, and it's never folded up like an air mattress, never folded back up to the same size that it came in the box. You know what I mean? And so now, it's really not saving any space at all. It's a big wad of just inflatable plastic, and it's massive, and I don't know how to store it, and it's really hard to get all dry, and I was really excited about it the first time to use it. 
That was a couple years ago, and I have yet to use it a second time. I was really excited the first time. But after a while, it was not nearly as cool. Not nearly as cool. Some say that the gospel is really sweet at first. Really amazing. When you're first saved, oh. But then it becomes old news after a while. It's less exciting. I think the Bible says that's wickedness. It's really fun at first, but then over time you realize, wow, this was a terrible decision. That's wickedness. The righteousness and following God is the exact opposite. It gets better and better. It's like fine wine. Right? Isn't that what they say about fine wine? It gets sweeter and sweeter over time? Is that right? I don't know. I'm the wrong person to ask about that. The reality is the gospel and the hope of glory is better and better with age. Not more and more boring. It's like the growing of the light of dawn, brighter and brighter through life. So in a very real sense, I was thinking about this today. And then I'm wrapping up. Very real sense, I think, looking out, knowing the crowd here in the evening service, many of you can sense the sweetness of the gospel better than I can at my age. In a very real sense, right? You've lived a lifetime of sins and struggles, hardships, disappointments, and seen God's faithfulness through all of it. Time and time and time and time and time again. The reliability of God through all difficulties, you've seen that. It's gotten brighter and brighter. The evidence of God's goodness in your life. You've gone through a lifetime of pains and difficulties that have kind of accumulated I realize that it's very possible that some of you may see Jesus before me, right? So the sweetness of the hope of glory, I think, is that much better when you know you're closer to it than you were 30, 40 years ago. I think that's what this text is saying. It doesn't get more and more dull like a lifestyle of sin does. More and more regrettable. No, no, no. It's the exact opposite. Like the the rising of the sun, it gets better and better, brighter and brighter, more glorious over time. But the life of wickedness is the exact opposite. It's not a rising sun. No. It's not even a dimming sun. It's utter darkness. There's no hope to it. Verse 19. The way of the wicked... It's not like the rising sun, no. The way of the wicked is like the deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Do you see the difference? Following God, it's like the rising sun, better and better. The way of wickedness, it's not even the sun at all. It's utter darkness. There's no hope to it. This is the father's words to his son. The heart that he has for him, the commands he gives him, and his reasons for it. He wants his son satisfied. Satisfied. 
So, may we in this text see the Father's heart for you. God has a heart for you. His heart beats for you. He hurts when we wander, and he longs for us to follow him. May we see the Father's heart. May we also hear the Father's command clearly tonight to cling to his word. I hope you're doing that. I hope you're doing that. If you're not, God's calling you to do that. Cling to his word every single day. But then stray far from temptation. Don't even start down that path. Don't even give it an inkling or a foothold. Stray far from it. That's God's command to you. But also let's remember, never forget his reason for his command. It's for your good. It's for your good. That you wouldn't let be left unsatisfied in life. But like the rising sun, you would be more and more glad about the path you went down. He wants your joy and he wants your good. This is the word of God and I hope it builds you up and encourages you today. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.